Hi, my name is Ernesto, and you're listening to the I Am Not Podcast. I just wanted to take a moment and thank you for listening. Today, we get to listen to my friend Joanna Whaley's brave and powerful story of coming out and embracing their true identity publicly and staying strong as a queer Christian in the midst of extreme fundamentalist churches. Due to the nature of each episode, I will be offering trigger warnings. This episode, we will discuss topics relating to homophobia, transphobia, and depression. Once again, thank you for your time, and let's grow together. Well, hi, Joanna. How you doing? I'm so good, Ernesto. This is so exciting to me. I'm so excited right now. <laughs> I know. And just growing up, seeing you just go through your life and your worship ministry and everything with the churches we've gone to together, it's just so exciting because I've looked up to you for so long. Like, oh. you're an inspiration. I remember being on stage, and there you are in the front row, just like singing your heart out. And it oh, yeah. was awesome. I, for the listeners, I was Ernesto's worship pastor. So like, this is an exciting moment for me to watch you growing and like taking agency of your life is so exciting to me to see. So I'm, I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. And we're definitely honored. And yeah. And while I would be singing, it would not sound great, which is <laughs> what's wonderful about the band is that they were loud enough that no one could yeah. hear you. Hundred um, like hundred over a hundred decibels every week. So yeah, minimum. we were fine. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that you are in the middle of a lot of busy, amazing things. Let's start with your album that you just dropped a few days ago. Uh good gifts. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for those listeners who may not be familiar with what I do, um, I, you know, I was a worship pastor for 18 years, uh, did worship music and wrote that, wrote tons of worship albums uh, through some old churches, through a few churches. And when I came out, I was like, I don't know if, if I'm ever going to do worship again. That was just the, the, what I assumed being a trans woman, that I wouldn't be able to write worship songs anymore. And I just through so much prayer, through so much just kind of discernment in my life and conversations with amazing people, I was just reminded that I can still do that. I can still create. I can still write worship songs. And I'm just writing from a different lens now. And that has been so fun for me. So this is my Good Gifts, which released on my birthday this year. Hello. Happy birthday to me. Go listen to it. Um, that's your present to me, friends. Um, but I, uh, this is my third album under my new name. Uh, so my first record was called the way it used to be, which was all the songs that I released before transition. So when you listen to it, you're like, who's this dude singing? Cause it sound my voice is super deep. That's what it sounds like. Um, and then you'll see the progression throughout the records. So the next one's called shell me and the latest. It's called Good Gifts. It's a live acoustic record. And I'm just excited about the songs. They're very honest. And my theology is evolving and um, into, I think, a really beautiful space. And they're starting, it's starting to show in my songs. So 
that's my new record. And my budget was zero dollars. So I did the whole thing by myself. <laughs> yeah. And I got to so have some grace, people. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I got to say, listening to good gifts, the one word that kept coming up was authentic. Mm. Just getting back to the roots of what is worship? Yeah. And, um, you know, I wanted to start off just talking about good gifts because, I mean, it just goes to show what anyone can do. What um, it doesn't matter how much hate you go through, doesn't matter how much change you go through. Yeah. Everyone's got this amazing talent. And once they latch onto that and just let themselves shine, you know, want to take a step back and, you know, if you're comfortable, maybe you could kind of tell us about about your story of, um, well, I mean, how did you start as a worship leader or just singing on stage? How did you get there? Yeah, great question. So a lot of it dates back to when I was in high school. Um, so the funny story is a lot of like my friends. So I played football growing up as a kid. That was my way to hide that I was a girl. I <laughs> I played sports and um, but I also started this band with all my bandmates in high school, like all my best friends. We started a band. We were terrible. Um, we thought, though, that we were the best band on earth, and we thought we were going to be so awesome. And we were just awful. Um, but I got involved with this youth group that met in like a pizza shop. And uh, it was super weird. I grew up Catholic. Um, my grandpa was the choir director at a Catholic church, which kind of got me, you know, on the front end, interested in church music. And then, um, I ended up at this youth group at a pizza shop and I fell in love with the music and I was in a band and I was watching like all these teenagers just like passionately worshiping. And I had never seen that in my life before. So I got interested, started showing up every week, um, and got involved in the band at the youth group. And that's how it all started. I was terrible. They wouldn't let me sing because I wasn't even really a good singer back then. Uh, I just could play like three chords. And it, if that, <laughs> I just had a lot of fun up there and I think they wanted energy. So uh, I started out as a guitar player in my worship band and eventually, um, they let me sing a lead. And that kind of changed everything. And um, that's how I got involved in worship. And it evolved from there. So, um, you know, I ended up becoming one of the main worship directors of our youth ministries, which was massive. Like the youth ministries I was a part of when I was a young 18-year-old worship pastor was, I mean, I would say between maybe correct my numbers on this, but I mean, there was hundreds of kids every week in our youth ministries, like on a good week, it was like over five or 600 kids easily. It was nuts. Yeah. If you combine high school, college and middle school all together. And here I am 18 years old in charge of all those, all those bands. Um, you know, I was given a lot of leadership early and then I got kind of thrust into like adult church. Um, on a fluke on kind of a weird in a weird moment like overnight and so that's how i got into worship so i became a worship pastor in the church so how different was it worshiping in front of adults instead of a bunch of screaming kids <laughs> oh so different and you know i i think i was 20 
21 or 22 when I became the worship pastor of the whole church. I mean, this is a church of thousands of people. Um, and while the church was expressive in worship, it was totally different than the youth ministries. The youth ministries were like, I mean, if you watch any Hillsong documentary or you watch any like Bethel music video, that's what our youth group looked like every week. But then like you got to church and people were like holding their coffee cups and arms folded and it's just totally different. It was a huge learning curve for me. Um, but you know what? I just continue to bring my energy. I jumped off of stuff because that's what I did. I just jumped off of things like a crazy person. And, um, you know, people people liked it enough that they let me keep doing it. So, <laughs> no, I definitely remember you would like start climbing like the metal pipes and infrastructure the screens. Yeah. 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 And you just terrible every time because that was all about Jesus. <laughs> right. And it's so funny because looking back now, I think, oh, <sighs> her knees. My word. Sh- it was all about the show. Yeah, that's all it was about. Yeah. And <laughs> I did hurt myself. I did break my ankle one time. Are you serious? Um, Yeah. It was like the first song of like a worship night and I broke my ankle. I had to push through. So, <laughs> you know, I would bet it probably happened at a retreat. <laughs> no, it was at um this like tiny concert venue in town. Um, and we were like, let's book this concert venue and do a worship night in it. And we did, and we packed it out. We were the first band that sold the place out. And, uh, <laughs> I hurt myself. Oh my goodness. Hey, broken bones for Jesus. <laughs> it was my worship style breaking my body, you know? Well, I can say from the perspective <laughs> of a middle schooler and high schooler, it was amazing. <laughs> I mean, but even beyond just the craziness is just to see the heart of the person who was in front of us. And they are just, you were just throwing everything you could, even if it meant hurting yourself. But, you know, regardless of all the craziness, it it was still wonderful to see someone that passionate that was not that much older than us, to be honest. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was a kid. I mean, it was 20, something, 18, 19. I think I got hired as a worship pastor there at like 17, like right out of high school. That's insane. Um, had no experience, you know, whatsoever. And they're like, hey, we're going to pay you now. I'm like, oh, okay. This is the most money I've ever seen in my life. And it was like, you know, $6 an hour. But <laughs> still, it was awesome. No. And, you know, I'm pretty sure you had great memories. Um, You know, but one thing I did want to kind of discuss with you as well is that um just because i did get to hear you on another podcast before or focus on your own focus on your own family great podcast by the way oh stephanie's so wonderful oh my goodness she's so great yeah she's become like one of my best friends now (laughs) love that yeah i remember that one point you did bring up that you always knew you were joanna yeah even before you knew that's the name you were going to choose which i mean the the origin of the name is amazing and we'll get to that later but it must have been challenging being because i remember this church that you and i both attended and it was definitely not affirming oh not at all and so that's a thing right um well let me get to it how i knew right i knew so when i was a kid there was no language for trans we we didn't know what at least in my family and our area where we grew up is very conservative. Um, 
the the language back when I was a kid in the nineties. That's when I was a kid back in the nineties. If anybody watches that TikToker, um, but I I didn't have any language for trans. All I knew was that on the inside, I didn't like being a boy. And I liked stealing my mom's clothes late at night. <laughs> That's all I knew when I was a little kid. And I knew that at about the age of six. I knew something was up. I liked girl things. But when I was a kid, like, if you were gay, if you were not straight boy, your life was hell. Like, they made your life a living hell. And, like, it was terrifying to be a queer kid in my schools. And so I hit it. I didn't know what to do. And then my mom asked me when I was a kid, are you gay? And I was like, well, at that time, I didn't think I liked boys. So I'm like, I don't like boys, mom. So like, I'm okay. No, I'm not gay. I just won't take your clothes anymore. I'm really sorry. And that's, that was all that really there was. And I ended up at this big, cool mega church that, you know, is so fast forwarding, right? I'm pushing that down. I'm pushing that down my whole life. While the whole time, like growing up, I would like sneak and like dress female late at night at my mom's house, you know? And I end up at this cool church, rock and roll, lights and smoke, all are welcome type of a place. And I start feeling really safe. I start building a lot of friendships. When I first started attending this church, I didn't know what the ideology was. All I knew is that I was being love bombed from the second I walked in that mm -hmm. place. Like we were being, we were just being so over the top. Like I'm using loved with air quotes. It was like it, love bombing exactly what it was. Like we just were made to feel like we were something important and valued when we walked in there which was great it's a great feeling but what i didn't know is that there was an ideology in the background as a young pastor as a young student that demanded conformity of me and was not going to have tolerance for the truth and for how i really felt and if I didn't say the things they wanted to hear, I was going to be in trouble. And that all led up to when I first went to college and was the first time I met a transgender woman was in college. And for the first time in my life, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this person is how I feel. Like I'm seeing how I feel on the inside and I build a relationship with her and become friends with her. And I start to think, oh, my goodness, like, I think I would be much healthier and happier if I transitioned. And that's when I thought it was safe in my church. I thought it was a safe place for me to talk and be real. We always preached. We need to be real with one another. We need to be like, tell each other everything. We love each other no matter what in this place. And that's when I went to my pastors and was told. I'm going to go see a, you have to go see a therapist or we're going to fire you and you're going to lose all of this yes, overnight. A, a therapist. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the way it was worded and the way that 
I didn't know that it was conversion therapy. This was my first of three rounds. I went through conversion therapy three times. It didn't work. Hello, here I am. <laughs> um, but I was told it was biblical counseling. It was, well, if you take, if you take the Bible seriously, like you say you do, you see how that language works? It's like, well, you're somebody who values scripture. You value honoring God. This is the best way to do that. Mm -hmm. And it's to go to biblical counseling. We're going to get you help in a biblical way, whatever that means. And so I did. It was go to this therapist, air quotes, and like do what they say or get fired and lose everything. And that's how it worked, Um, which is actually not how therapy works. You don't go to a therapist and they have a, have somewhere they want you to be. And the therapist drives you to the goal. That's not how therapy works. <laughs> that's how that's like therapy. Now that that type of therapy started to get too scientific, but it's called psychodynamic therapy. And it's been completely debunked in science. But for some reason, conversion therapy still thinks it can do this. and these Freudian models have been completely debunked at this point, but there I was no idea. Impressionable young pastor being, I got to save my friends and my job. So here I am. Yeah. And, and I just got to add, um, I want to say, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just, I mean, I've gone through my own experiences through this church, but the level of the depravity that Christian love can put people through, mm. you know, I, I always think, oh, there's no way I can be surprised. And then I hear stories like this. And it's just, it's so heartbreaking. I just know all the time that I knew you and you're always smiling, always smiling, always yeah. helpful, always going above and beyond for everyone. And to know you were going through this quietly, all this suffering, yeah. and none of us knew. Yeah, the amount of people I talk to, and probably even people that are going to listen to this podcast who I haven't had the opportunity to speak with, one of the number one things I hear is, I can't believe you're going through that when I knew you. Because at some of the heights of ministry, that I, some of the biggest times in our churches, I was going through conversion therapy. And I was counseled, and how many times did we hear this from our church pulpits? Fake it until you make it. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what that freaking means? That means lie. That means lie. Fake it till you make it is literally a pastor or a biblical counselor telling you to fake it. It's terrible counsel, and it is not good theology. And it's harmful. And that's what I did. I was faking it. I was, I was so over the top at times because I was hurting so bad. When I'm jumping off of speakers, it wasn't just because I wanted to have fun all the time. It was because if I get people to talk about something else, they, that's all they'll talk about. They won't have to talk about the real me. They'll just talk about my antics and they'll talk about 
the crazy things I did with drums on stage or whatever. They'll talk about the crazy stuff and they won't have to get to know the real me. Yeah, man. It, it's just, <laughs> I got so angry listening to the other podcast you were on, just knowing that, you know, sweet Joanna, I mean, no one deserves this, but for someone that I considered such a great person, um, and all because you weren't the right identity for them, or you weren't the gender they were comfortable with, or whatever ideology. It's just, yeah, God loves you if. Yeah. That's what I took away yeah. from that church. God loves you conditionally. Yeah, and my friend Stephanie from that other podcast, she said she did a video the other day that just, I mean, perked my interest. She said, Salvation is not a free gift, according to the church. Like, it isn't free. Because how many times have we heard, like, from altar calls, like, you know, we're going to, you're going to give your life to Jesus, and then you have to bup, 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 and then there's a whole bunch of rules after that. Mm -hmm. And you got to get baptized, and you have to do this and that. It's like, well, what, hap what happens if I don't do those things? Well, then maybe you were never saved. So the, so there was a cost to the gift, you know, like that's the, that's what's hard about it is that we're preached about this free gift of Christ, but there was a lot of costs associated with that. And for many people, it was their mental and physical health. Yeah, absolutely. And then what's awful is that in, I know that the church we went to is not the only one that did this, unfortunately, but you we went to a few churches oh, together. right it's just <laughs> it's, so me. it's like oh goodness okay a few of them we just followed each other around i know <laughs> great minds think alike right. um but you just see this with a lot of churches where you become so invested in like you said the love bombing and the way i've heard it before yeah. is that love bombing is when love becomes a tool when it becomes a mm. means to an end and wow. love is love stops being love and love becomes a marketing plan. Exactly. And then what's awful is that, you know, you get, you get roped in, you get, you know, you see all the advertising and you see all the friendships and you grow. That's, and that's the part that bothers me is how much someone can grow and flourish. Yeah. And then yeah. the rug gets pulled out from underneath you. It's like, Oh, by the right. way, here's your commandments. And otherwise we're going <laughs> to ruin your life. Right. It would have been one thing if being a part of some of these churches that, I was hurt the most by, and we were hurt the most by, it would be one thing if we got nothing, if we got nothing great out of it. But it's like, sometimes I'm like, dang it. I wish the whole thing was horrible, but there was great stuff that happened in those churches, you know, and that, and that's the thing, but that's where I've found myself, no matter what, I realize that like God is supposed to be the main point. That's who I fell in love with. And I may, you know, initially it might have been a church, but falling in love with like the object of that place of Christ, that's what, that's what kept, that's what gave, brought the growth for us, you know? And so that's, that's the challenging part. It's like, how do you disassociate these two things, the harm and the great things that happen? I love that podcast that Christianity Today did on Mars Hill. Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, and, they talk about in that, like, how could some place that hurt us so much have given us so much? And 
that is that is such a hard thing to deal with, you know, um, because sometimes you can say, well, we did something right. It's like, mm, you know, Harvey Weinstein did some nice, some good movies. <laughs> <laughs> he did some bad stuff. And <laughs> Bill Cosby made some funny TV shows. Doesn't mean it was great. So. Right. And, and that's what I also think makes things difficult is that in abusive relationships or abusive faith or institutions, there are those beautiful moments in between. And yeah. sometimes we get so comfortable in those environments that when we get out even momentarily and then we're left alone, we just start thinking about the good things. And it's like, well, yeah. was it really that bad? And then sometimes we just end back in there and then it just starts all over again. Right. And and that's there's danger there. So something that we used to hear a lot was, oh, that's just the pastor. That's just the pastor. That's just how the pastor is. I'm sorry, but that's not okay. <laughs> if that's how the pastor is, the pastor's a jerk. Like yeah. <laughs> that's the reality. We have to call that out as it is. That was one of my favorite quotes by another one of my pastors um, who said that, well, you know, he, he was talking to some pastors said then, well, that's just how I am. He's like, well, how you are is a total jerk. <laughs> like, <laughs> And and it's true. And yeah, so that that has always been a challenge. But I think the greatest thing I ever pulled out of those experiences was the people like getting to know you and know all the people that have connected with after transition. And yeah, so. Yeah. And, and you know, just kind of going back a bit, you went through yeah. your first round of conversion therapy. I, I hate that I have to say first round. Um your, yeah. yeah, your first round. buckle in, people. We got two more to go over here. Goodness. Uh, <laughs> so you go through your first round, and how did they decide that you were you were John enough in their eyes? Like, oh, okay, you are good enough to leave conversion therapy. How did that happen? Yeah, yeah. Um, for all the listeners that may not know me, that was my dead name. I don't care to tell people what my dead name is. It was John. And I like, so the first round, I, it was being paid for by the church for a certain number of times. Um, after a certain number of times, I was, I was broke. I was getting paid peanuts and I had rent and I, I eventually just couldn't afford it. But also I just didn't want to go anymore because I would walk out feeling so defeated. I would feel like such a piece of crap and I would feel so fearful because I just kept lying to people and what they were telling me to do. And here's what's crazy is they were telling me to fake it till I make it. So they were counseling me on how to like project that I was healed in a sense. So I start telling my story on stages. I start telling people and some listeners might remember this, but I started telling people that God delivered me from cross-dressing in front of thousands of people. We would go on mission trips across the world, and I'm saying, God delivered me from cross-dressing, and people, yay, like, they would clap, but I wasn't. Mm -hmm. Like, I was faking it. I was faking it till I make it, and I was, I would go home. I would, like, go home from church, okay? I would lead worship on Sunday. I would go home to my house that I rented. I lived by myself. 
And at the door, I would change. I would present female in my house all the time because that's how I felt comfortable. And that was the only way I could survive through that whole season. And that's what like led up to the second round of it where, you know, I got like found out by an ex-girlfriend that I was like still presenting female. By the way, all my ex-girlfriends like knew about this. So like I dated girls in the church and like this always came up like with almost all my girlfriends. And so um, at that time I was like, you know, attracted to women. So I dated women and that was a great cover for me. So I like I just um, got outed and caught by not. I got caught by one of my ex-girlfriends and she told the pastors. And that sent me to conversion therapy all over again. So I, I fit, I, I made everyone think I was okay. And that's how it stopped. And then the second round started after I got caught again. Yeah. And, you know, I gotta say, like, I just hear so many stories in the, in the phrase, Oh, you know, pray the gay away or pray, you know, that mentality. Uh It's like, it's just insane. It's like, do you not understand like, oh, I just want you to change who you are and yeah. okay, now we're good. You are what yeah, I'm comfortable think with. about that. Yeah. yeah, like that is conversion therapy. And the whole premise of, of it is you're not living God's best for yourself because of who you are. But it's not painted that way. The way it's worded and spun is that you have a sexual immorality problem. So what starts to happen is, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but you start diagnosing, you start giving the wrong solutions to the wrong diagnosis. You think somebody's got a, a, a sexual immorality problem and you treat someone with gender dysphoria like they're an alcoholic. And it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. And it makes it worse. And that's these are the things I had to go through. So the second round of conversion therapy came. And this was when I started to get counseled. And I don't know if you remember this, but we were I heard it from stage a lot, especially in like college ministry. Um, If you have a sexual immorality problem. And I, and for listeners, I use, I use air quotes all the time because I say things that I don't believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I air quote them. Um, but if you have a sexual immorality problem, you just need to get married and start having sex and all your problems will go away. Oh yeah, absolutely. They pushed for marriage, no matter the cost yeah. of your mental health. Oh, six yep. months and you can go get married. So you don't have sexual morality. So here's what happened. I got married. I got married within five months of dating. Because there was this culture mm-hmm. of my mom, who was not part of the church. She says, when's the baby do? She thought I like knocked <laughs> up my girlfriend and was like, this is fast. Like, what's going on? You know, I'm like, oh, no, we just want to get married. And that was seen as weird outside of the church. But inside her little church bubble was like, oh, this is normal. This is what we do. And that was being pushed by pastoral leadership. And me being young and impressionable, I'm like, of course, this is the best thing for me because I need to get rid of this problem in me. 
And that's what conversion therapy the second time was teaching me to do. Uh, so how old were you about at this stage? When I got married? Yeah. Well, I got to do the math. <laughs> 20, I think it was 28 when I got married. So by 28, yeah. you went through two rounds of conversion therapy and yeah. you got married five months into a relationship. Yeah. And, you know, it was, uh, it was great. I mean, you know, I mean, I thought I was on the right path mm -hmm. and I thought that, I thought that going through conversion therapy at the time was the right thing. And it was really painful for me. Like I didn't feel good when I left therapy, but I thought, I thought as they preach mm. all the time to us, I thought I was picking up my cross. Oh, yeah. And I thought I was, I thought I was carrying the weight of the cross but laying my sin on that cross and uh, you know and, and just to hear myself say and call my gender identity sin just feels so icky to me mm -hmm. like it so that's what i thought i thought i was doing the right things it was out of a pure heart that i was doing these things but I was, I was starting to get really sick at that point in mentally. Um, you know, people like to say, you know, trans people have a mental illness and they're sick. I promise you, those that are in the closet are the sick ones. And <laughs> I was getting so sick years into marriage because the thing I was promised, the, the good I was sold, and it was marketed to me, hey, get married, have sex, all your problems will go away. It wasn't working. I still felt like a woman. And I didn't know what to do. And so, like, I had kids and just kept trying to, like, push through. And I, it just wouldn't go away. And I didn't tell... Here's the other gross thing. So you combine conversion therapy, round number one, and two together. I was told, how often did we hear this too from, uh, from stages and preaching? If you give it words, you give it life. Is there, you remember oh, that? Oh, yeah. Uh, if we talk about it, it becomes real. Which, okay, in retrospect, <laughs> is that not rape culture right there? Is that right? I mean, oh, yeah. Just don't oh. talk about it. Don't talk about that and it'll go away. Don't report it. Yeah. Don't share it with your friends. Um, exactly. I just got to butt in. Exactly. Another phrase. It was uh, talk to, not about. So if you're a fellow brother or sister in Christ, which I love all these little Christianese phrases. <laughs> <laughs> if your brother or sister in Christ yeah. sins against you, you talk directly to them. You don't reach out to anyone for help and it creates these perfectly isolated incidents yeah 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 and so because we feel that if we give our deepest most thoughts light and if those things are portrayed as sin to us which we don't need to get into the hermeneutic of sin here on this <laughs> podcast. But 
we we encourage inauthenticity. Yeah. And we also we also hurt people we love the most. You know, I I was counseled and I was afraid to talk about what really was going on inside of me because I was told that it would go away. I was there's a difference if you read it in a book to when a pastor says it to you. When a pastor says it from stage or a counselor with a Bible open sitting in front of you says it to you, it becomes theology. And theology holds a different weight than knowledge. And um, even though, like, you know, it's not true, but it holds weight in our hearts a little differently. and. I just believe that if I didn't talk about it and I was just getting more and more sick and it did, it hurt. There were so many people that were hurt by that. And that's the stuff that I've had to deal with in my life is I believed this counsel and I, I followed this counsel. And because of it, there was a lot of fallout because of my coming out, which was, um, you know, which my coming out was a, can I swear on your show? Is it okay? Uh, of course. Well, this is about <laughs> okay. you and your growth and your healing. Go ahead. Um, my coming out was a dumpster fire shit show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're nodding your head because you agree. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of Christian love sent your way. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know. I had finally come to the place where I had determined um, that transition was my path and that Jesus was still going to love me and that God would still accept me as me. One of the biggest turning points for me was when my old youth pastor, one day I call him. And I was at the decision point. Am I going to transition or am I not going to transition? And I never forget it. I'm living in Boston because me and my family were in Boston. Crazy, crazy backstory, but we were in Boston and I'm on the phone and I ask, do you remember back in the day when you asked me to go to counseling and all this stuff? And said, yeah, it hasn't gone away. I still feel like a woman. I feel like I need to transition. And I asked him, am I going to go to hell if I transition? First of all, I don't believe in hell anymore. Ooh, that's going to make people mad. But paused for a minute. And he said, absolutely not. Like, wow. God will love you and Jesus loves you and you will still go to heaven. Wow. <laughs> that changed my world because I thought that phone call was going to push me away from transition. And our youth pastors, our former youth pastors helped me see that God would still be with me. And that was a big deal for me. Um, 
which might be shocking news to some <laughs> to hear that. But it's what really, really helped me in the biggest way. So they gave you hope. Yeah, they gave me hope. And I came out days later and um, I received so much hatred. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I received a lot of love, received a lot of love. It was, it was a beautiful thing mm -hmm. to see that I got from people and I still get daily beautiful messages, but I still get daily hate mail. Um, and they mostly come from one place and that's sad to me. Um, but doesn't surprise me either. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is a, it's a painful thing when you put yourself out there like that and you are, you become the very thing that people demonized your whole life and told they were the biggest scum of the faith. Um, LGBTQ people were painted as the biggest scum of the earth in our old church context. And overnight, I became that for everyone. And it was hard for people to understand because I led them in worship. I gave them a Jesus moment. I was a spiritual leader in their life. I held their children. I was at their houses. I was at their hospital bedsides. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was there. I led them to Christ, some of them. And all of a sudden, this person has challenged their whole worldview. And when you shake somebody's worldview, it, it doesn't always go well. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's kind of crazy just because I, I know one of the pastors that is probably <laughs> behind the um, charge of hate, um, he would always talk about all the experience he had with the LGBTQ community and how he volunteered with them and he knew how to talk to them and then you you know then we got to witness you coming out and then the truth really mm. poured out and of course we could see you know at one of our churches that we went to how yeah no like you stated lgbtq is a disease to them it is something yeah. that is the worst sin possible right which and yeah, it's insane. I would be I would be very cautious now. Now as a young 19, 20 something year old worship pastor, I took everything that pastor said like as gospel truth. I never questioned it because I didn't have the education myself. I didn't have enough experience. I just trusted them. Which you want to trust your pastors, right? You want to say, "Of course I trust you." Like, I'll trust you with my life. But um I would be so curious to hear from queer people that were involved in that work with that pastor, because the, I, there's a huge disconnect between the experience that other people have and sometimes what pastors say happened. Um, pastors have the tendency, and I did it when I was a pastor, to over glorify what we did, you know, and overemphasize our impact in something. And that person might actually hate our guts, you know, and and that is a reality that pastors in general deal with. 
And um, I'd be very cautious of any pastors who say, yeah, I've done a lot of, uh, and, and if they get the letters in the wrong order, instant distrust. <laughs> um, I'll be honest with you. If you hear LGTB, no, I don't trust you. Get it right, first of all. <laughs> um, but the other end of it is um, being sure if you start hearing pastors say, hey, I've seen success in this area. First of all, what is success? And also, is success for you converting them away from being queer? That is not success. That is illegal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially where, where we live. We live in the state of Michigan where we're recording this podcast. It is now illegal to attempt to change someone's gender or sexual identity through counseling. Wow. Yeah. 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 It's not success. It's illegal. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's just crazy to think, oh, yeah, I am successful that I destroyed someone's identity. And I, the amazing pastor that I am, have given them a new one and a better one because I know more than them. It's the white, it's the white savior complex. I'm just going to call it what it is. There is a white savior complex that happens inside of many evangelical churches who think the way we do it is the best way. And my counsel is going to change this person's life. Mm -hmm. And we over, as I said, again, and I did this as a pastor, we feel like if we swoop in and we have the conversation and we give the person the track and pray with them, that that changed their life. Do you know what probably happens when that, when you walk away, that person goes, well, all right, where are we going to go get drinks tonight? And they throw the track in the trash and then they probably talk shit about you at the restaurant. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the reality. But pastors, and I'm, I'm saying this pastors as my, I did this too. We pat ourselves on the back for like having the conversation. And we swooped in and had one conversation and we called it success. And that's just not reality. No, not whatsoever. And, uh, you know, <laughs> and just, I was never a pastor or anything like that. But I was definitely on the preaching route way back when great preacher, by the way, freaking great. And what I can say is that it was coming from a good place in my heart. You know, I had good intentions Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, and, and like you said earlier, it's kind of hard because, you know, at some of the churches we've been to, there are good moments. And for me, those preaching moments where I was actually mentored to and whatnot, they Mm -hmm. were the good moments until I started speaking more consistently in our youth ministry and whatnot. And then we started getting into, um, I forgot the phrase they had, but it's emotional manipulation where it's like, you know, in Mm, conjunction with the worship band where you get everyone on this like emotional high, um, all their boundaries are down, you know, like they're just broken. And I, this phrase always struck out to me. They're like, and then when you get to that peak of emotion, that's when you strike with the gospel. And I was like, hold on, <laughs> like, wait, wait, wait. So I am, wow. I am assaulting these people with this message. And it's only when yeah. they're the most bro- broken and vulnerable, then they'll accept the faith. What is yeah. that? Yeah. And, and it kind of makes me think of, of you and what you went through. 
Yeah, let's put Joanna in conversion therapy. Break her will and spirit down until she is moldable. And then we win. We call it a night. Um, what happens in a lot of these environments too, um, is I hate to plug another podcast, but I've been a part of another podcast. Like I'm actually a co-host now on a podcast, um, with an atheist and a former worship, two former worship pastors, um, an atheist, an unpronounced person and me, you know, a queer Christian which is quite the dynamic, but we talk about stuff like this, where we talk about this manipulation that we were part mm. of. And I was like the master at that. Like, I'm not kidding. It was like, okay, we're going to get with the pastor. And at the exact moment we need, we're going to bring the pad in and we're going to synth in the background. We're going to, we're going to build that band up right at the right moment. And it is, you're right. One church I worked at, different church. This is crazy. We use what's called psychology of colors. Yes. Oh my gosh. In lighting. So a lot of people probably don't know this about me, but like I have this weird skill in church that translates to nowhere else, but I was a lighting director as well. So in as well Wait, did you do lights with me? I think I did did. for a minute. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's right. Okay. So for the listeners, you know, I was a worship pastor, but I also had this like weird side responsibility where I was in charge of all the lighting in the church. It's like all the cool looks of the stage and like all this. And, you know, I worked 80 hours a week and made crappy money, but we use what's called psychology of colors. And we had the specific colors for certain moods we wanted the room to feel and this is the reality of what it was and when you get people into emotional states you do it's like you strike you strike you strike and we did that and like we would change the colors when we wanted to but also this translates into different things so like when you do get people all worked up it's like, okay, well, what's their next step? We hear that a lot in mega church cultures. What's the next step? Well, the next step is we want you to get into something. Okay, well, what is that thing? We want you to get in this purity small group. Ooh, what's purity small group? It's this thing where we're going to have a bunch of dudes eating bacon and like crying about how much porn they watch. Like that's, we, we really want that for you. But then like it gets to be crazy. It's like, well, if you feel your next step is to see a counselor or to see a pastor about some deep sin issues in your life, and then they'll say just little things like maybe you're struggling with homosexuality. They say you're struggling. Well, I'm, I'm struggling. I don't know what to do with this. Well, then that's when you find out it's sin. And the manipulation goes from the stage into the, into the pastor's office. And the back room meetings. That's how it's designed. Yeah, that's how it's designed. And I'll never forget like conversion therapy. The room was set up like that too. It was dark. It was dim. And they did like hypnosis on me. Like they did all kinds of stuff to manipulate and get into my emotions. Just with, and they were not trained for this, you know? So it's real. The emotional manipulation is so real. And even now, 
like still being a worship artist. I'm so conscious of that. Even when I preach at, I preach at churches everywhere. Um, I, you know, I travel and I speak and I preach and I think when I'm in a church, I'm extra careful about manipulation. I really try to not, you know, and, but like what is baked into you as a, as a preacher, it's hard to break that. Um, now if I'm speaking at like some secular event, I'm going to freaking let it rip because I know how to use it. (laughs) Right. And, you know, and I gotta say like, it's once again, I only preached a handful of times, but, um, it's kind of hard because emotions and all that, like that is a God given gift. You know, emotions are great. And, you know, and I got to say right now, if any church leader or pastor is telling you to disregard your gut feeling, disregard your feelings in general, like that's a red flag. Right. But how often do we hear, Oh, we felt the Holy spirit tonight. Right. Yeah. I think you're working off your feelings because I was in the same room and did not experience that. Exactly. And and I think that's also dangerous with faith in general is that if you come to faith and with this high of emotions, and then the next day when you get back to reality, you open up your Bible or whatever you pray and you don't feel it, it's such a huge letdown and you end up even worse (laughs) off. You end up depressed because you're like, well, maybe it's because I'm not doing something. I'm yeah. not a good enough Christian. Right. Yeah. I remember one of my one of my moments was it was like before communion. It was like you can't you can't come take the Lord's Supper until you deal with the sin inside of your own heart. Mm-hmm. And that that I remember that service. That kind of prompted me to like want to start talking because I was feeling manipulated, like, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't fully experience the the presence of God if I don't get over this. And the funny thing is now, I, after coming out, after being honest and like being the very thing I was told was like the embodiment of Satan himself, <laughs> like being a trans person, I've never been spiritually stronger. I've never been closer to Jesus. I've never been more interested in learning about Jesus. I've ne- my spiritual life has never been better since coming out. And that has been such an eye opener for me. And I understand that when you came out, you faced all this opposition and of course you did face uh, some people actually supporting. How mm-hmm. and, and this is a question I've had myself. How did you continue as a Christian? Like like, <laughs> why did you continue? <laughs> That's a great question. Because if you look at, if anybody wants good entertainment, and I'm not just plugging my social media channels, but you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. It's mostly TikTok now. I get the most hatred. But when I first came out, when I very first came out, Facebook was like the spot, right? And I came out and I'm telling you the viciousness of people was shocking. And I was shocked. I was prepared for it. I had good therapy to prepare myself for it, but it was shocking. And my faith has evolved. The only reason I got through all of that was my family and my relationship with Jesus, like my connection to Jesus. I knew from preaching and singing about 
this figure of our faith, Christ, that I could rely on Christ in the hardest times. And I knew that people didn't represent him, even though we said we were his ambassadors many times. But I knew that people were going to fail me. And I just held on to my faith through that. And just, and it was hard. I'll be honest with you. My faith has evolved a lot. My faith was evolving pre-transition. And that's where a lot of evangelical Christianity doesn't like change, resists change with all of its fervor, cannot, cannot handle change. But I began studying what's called queer theology and liberation theology, which is from the lens of the oppressed and is very like open to uh, experiencing your life with, with Christ and with God. And I started studying these things and they just started to make so much sense to me. So kind of like the pre-work of preparing my heart theologically and in prayer helped me keep my faith. And my faith since having the freedom to, to explore these things freely, even in academic settings with others and just freely talk about it. My faith has grown in such a wild way where I have, I have probably in my entire life, I've never had a more like broad theology and like view of God than I ever have now. And that's been awesome. I just feel like we removed, I removed the lid. It's like the, there was a lid on my faith that I could only believe this one thing. And once I came out, that was the biggest hurdle for me in my life. Mm -hmm. So I just like ripped the top off and been just exploring God at this point. And that's helped me keep my faith through all of this. Yeah, that's amazing because, I mean, you just think of what we were taught God was, and it's so small. Very predictable God. Yeah, very predictable, <laughs> very small, very whiny, needy. Um, <laughs> needy, yes. And it's like, oh my goodness. Jealous. Yeah, I'm like, this, the God they're teaching about has an anxiety disorder. Like, buddy, you need to talk to someone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that God is a bad boyfriend. Like, right. run, girl, run. <laughs> yeah, and one thing I did want to ask is, um, you know, for any listeners out there that might be trying to find out about these resources, you know, about queer theology, where did you find this out? Yes. Oh, there's some great resources out there. There's some great podcasts that I would recommend. Um, one of them, they don't make the podcast anymore, but you can still find it. It's called Irenacast. I'm sure I can give you all of this and you can put it in your show mm -hmm. notes called Irenacast is a really good podcast that really helps me um, come to full terms. I would really encourage people to find um, a good friend of mine, Shane Nixon. If anybody knows Shane, uh, attends a church in Nashville that I just love, love, love. And they really preach out of the lens of queer and liberation theology. They're called Grace Point Church in Nashville. That's a great podcast you can check out. There is um, a podcast called Queer Theology, the podcast, which is a good one. The Bible for Normal People. It's a great podcast as well. Of course, come listen to the podcast I'm at. Uh, I'll be, I, 
you know, I talk a lot of theology on there with my co-hosts um, called The Audience of None is a good one. If you just want to get a good laugh and uh, and listen to us, just reminisce about the crazy <laughs> crap that happens in church um, in a fun satire way. But books, read and read and read and read. I'm reading a book called Queer Religiosities, which is phenomenal right now. I'm just loving that book. Look up anything by Richard Rohr, who is a Catholic priest and is kind of like one of the forefathers of liberation theology in America. Yeah, just do your research and like, don't take anything for face value anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, that would be some really, that was a lot, but, you know, I would really recommend those things. Yeah, and, and I just got to say, like I said at the beginning, you're an inspiration because not only did you make it to the other side with still your faith, you dove into it head first to yeah. untangle your faith from all the toxic <laughs> background you had been raised in, that you had been, you know, well, that had been beaten into you, basically. Right. And here you are now providing resources for who knows who's out there going through the same situation. And I just love that there are now communities, there are now resources for what you went through. I mean, I hate that that has to be a thing. Yeah. And honestly, like, I don't just say this, but like, people could talk to me. I don't just like, I'm not inaccessible. I'm not like famous. You know, we'll get there. We'll like, get there. I don't even need to get there. If if my whole day is full of phone calls, just listening to people and being a resource and being an ear, that's OK with me. And I can also be a resource to people. It's what I do. It's what I do now. I write worship music and I advocate for people to have faith. And it's uh, it's an honor to do so. And I'm just honored. I am I got to gush on you for a minute because I am beyond humbled to see your faith journey whatever that is for you, wherever that is and wherever that ends up, even if it ends up being like I don't think I believe in anything anymore, like I am just so proud of you. Honored to like just be able to hear your story. And hear how you escaped. Like, let's call it what it is. You escaped. You escaped a cult. Mm -hmm. And you came out strong. You might might turn this thing off and cry all night. I don't know. But you seem strong to me. And I'm just really proud. Like, it gives me hope for any investment that I may have had. Whatever small amount it was to see that growing is awesome and to have people who have agency over their life that's what we want yeah absolutely and and i um i appreciate it because something that no one will ever talk to you is that when you start standing up for yourself you start forming your own thoughts and you say no and you step out of these abusive Hmm. relationships abusive churches whatever it is no one prepares you for the loneliness that follows the quiet yeah the phone stops ringing yeah people don't check you just kind of disappear it's true and um 
it's been hard and you know not to talk about me too long but with my faith it's kind of interesting like you said your faith has been evolving so has mine and like i talked in another podcast i it's kind of like when you get those pesky uh christmas light bulbs and you know how they just get tangled up into this god-awful mess a little bit of a knot there hey russ (laughs) you know (laughs) So that's kind of how I describe my journey is just you can't just yank on it because then you're going to break something and then there goes yeah, all the lights. Right. But, you know, there's still faith there. There's mm. still a light there. And it's just about wow. redefining what love really is, who God really is. And I know that you as a father and me as a father, like we got our kids to look at and be like, do I want them to grow yeah. up in the same cult I was in? And know this conditional love. And it's just a game changer. Yeah. You know, for your listeners, they're like, Father, yeah, my kids still call me dad. And <laughs> that gets really funny in women's bathrooms sometimes. But uh <laughs> we 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 have fun, we have fun with that. But you know, that's my role in their life, and that will never change. And no matter what they call you, that's our role. And you're right. I, I'm hopeful that our children will have a very beautiful view, a very, uh, like a spectrumed view of humanity and of the divine. And binaries will be the furthest thing from their mind and thought and advocating for themselves will be normal. And they'll hear our stories. And say, wow, I really respect my dad and I can learn from my dad. And then, you know, I can go to the spa with my kids. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And I just, I got to give it up to you because in today's age, you know, it is hard to find a dad that sticks around, let alone loves their children. And, you know, just Uh, from what I've seen and heard, you, you love your girls so much and they are blessed to have you. And I know as a dad and mind you, I mean, my oldest is two and my other is like nine months old. Um, I doubt myself hmm. every single day. And I've heard that doesn't go away. So I'll be the voice of reason for you and say, you are doing great. And they are blessed to have you. Oh, don't make me cry. <laughs> I have estrogen in my body now. I cry easily. <laughs> So okay. I mean, it's like, you know, if I cry, you cry, we'll all cry together. It's okay. And then we'll bring in the cat, the pad and the key of B and then we'll oh, really you know, cry. And then the spoken word starts. <laughs> oh, we're horrible. Oh, my goodness. We know. We know the formulas. <laughs> yeah. No, the formulas that haunts me. Um, So one thing I did want to bring up, you know, just as you know, you're talking about your faith and how you continued and how you evolved. You know, I'm going to start talking about your album because I've been like itching to talk about your album, Good Gifts. Okay. Um, so first of all, there's one song and you told me over Facebook when we were talking like, hey, you, you're going to recognize the second song. I'm yeah. like, bet. Okay, let's listen. And it's called Never Leave. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. I cried. And I think I think oh. I cried. I'm sorry. Okay, compose, compose. I think I... You just let it rip. I, you let it go. I just cry every single time I hear it because it brings me back to when I was like in 
eighth grade or ninth grade or whatever and and just remembering the lyric change is so significant because like just to quote part of it the new one you know you will never leave jesus even if i'm told that you do okay pause (laughs) pause i'm like (laughs) even when i'm told that you do i'm told a lot that jesus left me yeah it's like okay then they clearly are not christians and then the next line grace guide me when i find hate father hold me close to you that idea that we're gonna re we're gonna we're gonna receive a lot of hate for standing up for ourselves Mm -hmm. for believing what we need to believe and just asking god to hold us close just keep me close to you because it's the only way i'm going to make it through this you know absolutely and then you know just the next part the silence of the faithful has led me to pursue pause you and it's that is so that hit me so freaking hard because i remember when i finally cut my ties to that old church i went to mm-hmm. and i lost everything I had no friends except which I mean I'm gonna call him out because I love I love my bro Devin Mara. He um Oh I love Devin. He's amazing. Love Devin. I mean, like mm-hmm. they say that, you know, when someone leaves a church or whatever, you gotta give him a phone call. Like that is so important. He didn't give me a phone call. He showed up to my house. I wow. was an ugly mess. I was like crying like no one loves me and i'm eating my cheetos and my doritos and i'm just an (laughs) ugly mess the faithful or those that i considered faithful were silent but then you get those special people and then when all the noise is gone you get to finally reflect and get closer to who god really is yeah did you like the first line of the song too? It says, some told me that I'm deceived. That sounds far from your heart. Absolutely. <laughs> like, what the heck? <laughs> my One of my favorite songs on the record. Well, the first song is a cover. Um, that one's called um, For Everyone Born. It's a song that I heard in like a bunch of affirming churches. I pl- you know, because I sing and play in a bunch of different churches now. And I was like, I love these lyrics, but I hate how this song is sung. (laughs) I didn't, I hated it. And so I just rewrote it. I rearranged it. And um, that song is really pretty. Like the second verse, it talks about for gay and for straight, a place at the table. Like an actual worship song that says like gay and straight. Beautiful. Um, But the song Billions is probably one of my favorite ones. And if you listen to the whole record, if you listen to outro, it's one of my favorite tracks because it's me and my kids singing it together because I taught it to them. It's their favorite song on a CD. Um, And I do have physical CDs, by the way. Um, Merch drop and a link. (laughs) 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 But the chorus just says, like putting in perspective and and having a widening theology for me understanding that i am one person of billions of people of all generations in history okay 
put that in perspective and the, the course says, I'm one of the billions of all generations. Still, you love me. I stand here amazed at all you've created. Still, you chose me. My life finds worth right here in spite of everything. Because I'm one of the billions of all generations. Still, you love me. Like, that's the chorus. And yeah. our, our lives have worth. They have worth. Whether you are like one of my dear friends transitioned at the age of 67 years old. Oh, my word. Okay. She transitioned at 67. She deals with crippling loneliness. Mm -hmm. Her life has worth. And, and I'm going to say this. The people that hurt us, the pastors that hurt us and did horrible things, the narcissists that we've run into, their lives have worth. Yeah. And God still loves them. And I'm not going to condone the things they done, they've done. And I'm going to call it out because, but I'm not calling that a single person out. We're calling out the system because it's the system that's broken that has allowed people to do these things because the people that hurt us have worth. And if we can get to that place of seeing every human being on this planet having worth, it makes us much slower to be sassy online with them, to hate them. And that's the perspective I want to have as a person of faith in my new perspective now. Absolutely. And it's, it's very gracious. Um, <laughs> gracious is my lame segue to understanding the origin of your name. Do you want to tell us about what Joanna oh, means? Oh. Yes, I do. I had a bunch of different name ideas. Uh, originally, uh, backstory, when I was in my mother's belly in the womb, I was presumed to be a girl, which could create a whole scientific. That'd be a whole nother podcast for another day. But I'm not a scientist, so I can't even I'm not even qualified to talk about that. But my mom had like a name picked out, but she couldn't remember it. <laughs> so, like I tried to ask my mom what it was. She's like, I can't remember. I wanted to just feminize my name because I, I didn't want to go like crazy different. I didn't want to have like, you know, go from my old name to like, you know, something totally different where people are like that doesn't even sound like the same person. Um, because for me, owning my past and not running from who I was was important mm -hmm. for me. It was important for me. So even if you look at my social media channels, like if you scroll enough, you're going to see my old self on there. <laughs> like I, I didn't run from it. I'm owning it. So I just like feminized my name. Um, so I went from, as I don't care, people know, I went from Jonathan to Joanna. Um, and Joanna in the original Greek means God is gracious. And I picked that one specific because... I believe that God was going to be gracious to me through all of this. And as I said, I had a bunch of different options to feminize my name, but that one, knowing that God was gracious to me, despite this transition, yes. it was a reminder to me that I was still God's child. I was God's daughter. I was God's daughter before I even knew it. 
And that's pretty, pretty crazy thing to experience. So that's how I picked my name, just feminized it. And so um, it, I'll never forget, it was May 5th, 2021, when I like picked the name. But I didn't come out for like another year. <laughs> I knew the name beforehand. <laughs> yeah, and, and I just got to say, the, the bravery and doing that and finally standing up for who you really were. I just, I aspire to show that sense of bravery in my own life. Um, however mm. that may look. Uh, just amazing. Yeah. It's, um, a lot of people will say, hey, why did you transition to like, you know, God never promised our life would be easy. And I, my first response to that is, oh, honey, I didn't do this because it's easy. This is the hardest thing I've done. Like, there's nothing easy about mm -hmm. this at all. I didn't transition to be happy. I transitioned to be healthy. And I transitioned because I want to get out of bed and want to be awake in the morning. I didn't want to medicate myself to survive every day. I wanted my kids to have the real me. And the real me was Joanna the whole time. And coming to terms with, if people can come to the terms with Joanna, was leading you in worship all those years ago and see that God worked through Joanna, that can change a perspective right there. Right. And, you know, <laughs> I just got to say, if someone's faith is so wrecked, supposedly because it was Joanna leading worship, not John, boy, they got to sit down and think about a few things because <laughs> got the wrong faith. Girl, you need some Jesus up in your life. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who you're listening or worshiping, but it's not him. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So true. I, I got I to gotta say, like, I also saw that recently you were accepted for a master's program at, and I'm going to mispronounce it, Wartburg the Theological Seminary. You got it perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. Yes, I am. So I guess long term, um, yes, I got into a seminary program, which I'm super excited about. Um, I should be hearing soon. I think it's a full ride, um, which is awesome. But yeah, Wartburg is an awesome school. It's through the Lutheran. Uh, it's subsidized through the Lutheran Church, um, which is funny because I'm United Methodist now. So <laughs> um, but this school is awesome. And I'm going to be getting a master's in theology. And here's a, another funny, fun story. I know we're going so long, but whatever. Um, mega church culture does not encourage education. No. Um, I was convinced by, I'm going to say well-meaning because of our last, our conversation we had about people that are loved by God, by well-meaning pastors who convinced me that I didn't need to finish school. So my senior year of college, I dropped out. And so I actually went back this year and I'm finishing it right now. I'm finishing my bachelor's and starting my master's uh, this, this winter. And the long-term goal is um, I'm going to be a hospital chaplain and I want to do chaplaincy work. I did um, an internship at the University of Michigan and just fell in love with the work and felt like 
if I'm not doing music, I want to be in hospital caring for people um, at their lowest moments of life and bringing them spiritual hope. And so, uh, but I need a master's to do that. So I'm, I'm excited to continue the journey and, um, you know, hopefully do a residency at U of M if it, the doors open that way, but, um, that's where I'm heading and continue to do my, my music and advocacy work. Um, you know, I don't know when this will air, but got a tour this fall of 2023, um, very tiny tour, but it's a step in the right direction. I mean, just being able to understand more about your journey, what you went through. I mean, just a little bit that I've been able to hear and piece together, see what you've gone through and where you are now. It's just, it gives hope. And, you know, and, and maybe, you know, this might take a second to think of, but let's say there's someone out there in the middle of, let's say, conversion therapy or hiding in the closet. What? would you say to them? What could you say to them? I wish I was, um, I was in your place. I remember huddling in the back halls of my church on a zoom call with pastors trying to figure out if God would love me. I remember the pain of the things being said to me behind closed doors, the misrepresentations that were being, and the assumptions that were being made about my parenthood, about my position as a spouse. And I want you to know, person listening right now, who is trying to come out, but is so fearful of losing everything, that there is life on the other side of coming out. It might feel like you're going to lose everything, but there is life on the other side. It really is. And you, you are going to go through hell for a little bit and you're going to cry, but the sun's going to come up tomorrow and you're going to be honest for the first time in your life. And for the first time in your life, there's going to be no secrets and no shame. And you've preached about that your whole life. It's time for you to actually experience it. That's what I would say. And just know that there are pastors like me who did it. And we're here for you. You're not alone. Reach out. I'm not kidding. Reach out. We're here to support you in any way we can. Wonderful. And, um, I just want everyone to know that on this podcast, although we're not exactly Christian centric, we are, I would like to say human centric because everyone in some way goes through trauma or through difficulties or abusive relationships. And if you haven't, that's amazing. I'm so happy for you. Try to keep that way. Um, you should teach classes. Please. Yeah. Teach um, classes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't recommend trauma. Not a great experience. <laughs> Zero out of 10 recommend. <laughs> but I do have to say it's stories like these where you just get to hear just the reality, the brutal reality of how life can be. But then at the same time, you can see how life can be, what it can turn into. Yeah. And 
Although some of us out there, you know, we may think we don't have a voice, we don't have the power. Yes, you do. No one has the power to do anything in your life without your say-so. And I know it may be strange to think of it that way if you're in a position without power, but you can claim that power back. You can claim your identity back. You can claim your voice back. Goodness, I am not trying to sound like a a preacher right now, but (laughs) let it go. Let it rip. I just, it's in you. It gets better. One decision at a time. Sometimes one outburst at a time. Um, But there is sometimes one month at a time. Yeah. It might be a hard month, but you'll get through it. And like Joanna said, reach out to her, reach out to me. I mean, we're not experts, but we know a thing or two. Joanna, I just, I just want to thank you. And I know we could talk for hours. We really could. Be the longest podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I'm not going to lie. I don't think I'm going to be able to edit out much just because of how much powerful content there was. Um, mm. But I just want to take a moment and I, I truly appreciate you and you're amazing. You're beautiful, and I am so excited to see how everything in your life goes. There's so many exciting things ahead of you. Oh, thank you. And thank you for liking my album. Absolutely. I have at least one fan, so that's well, good. Well, <laughs> actually, make it two, because a funny tidbit about Billions. Love that song. I love your songs. It's hard to pick a favorite. My uh, my two-year-old, <laughs> you know, when she hears music that she likes, she just kind of goes like, ah. You know, like she sings along and I was playing billions in the living room, just listening to it. And she grabs a phone, runs away and just starts, you know, singing in a little corner and dancing around. Um, Yay. Yeah. So she's got a good choice of music, you know, that's like the kids. I know my kids love it. Your kids love it. Oh, boy. I'm going to be a children's songwriter soon. I'm I'm coming to indoctrinate (laughs) your children. (laughs) Yeah. Watch out, everyone. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Oh, goodness. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to the podcast. And just to let everyone know, we are streaming everywhere you can find podcasts, such as YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, you name it. We're there. Please give us a review and comment on what you were able to take away from today's episode. And I look forward to the next one with you. Thank you very much and go in peace.